This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, I'm Amanda Kinsley-Smith. Thank you for joining me on the Sunday Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. It is Sunday the 14th of January 2024, and my guest tonight is Amanda Ritchie, Head of Biology in a post-primary school here in Northern Ireland. Amanda will be talking to me about a career break that took her all the way to Australia and what that taught her about work-life balance. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, it's January, it's still dark, the cheery Christmas lights are down, the cold snap has arrived, the excitement of the festive season's given way to a busy term, I'm sure we've all got open nights and exam prep ramping up and all sorts of things, and you might find yourself getting in at night, wiping the rain off your foggy glasses, defrosting yourself by the radiator, and dreaming of swapping it all for, oh, say, the sunny beaches of Australia. It's something we hear a lot of especially when it comes to these days of public sector strikes, particularly in the NHS. Public sector workers could earn more, have better working conditions in Australia, but is that always the case? Well, one person who has the authority to give us her take on that question is my guest tonight, a fellow Amanda, Amanda Ritchie. Now, I'm privileged to call Amanda both a colleague and a friend, which is of benefit to my own work-life balance, something we'll get on to later. And I thought she was the perfect person to have on in January to share some of that Australian sunshine with us and what it taught her about her work-life balance. Uh, I can see Amanda is in the live studio, which is great. So hopefully she can call in and then we'll be able to start our chat. I thought she was just the perfect person to have on at the minute because we can apply the benefit of her experiences and some of what she's learned to our own lives. Um, oh, there we go. Just adding Amanda in now, because that could either be in terms of maybe we've got a New Year's resolution to try and improve our work life balance, or maybe you're feeling adventurous and you are planning your own trip down under. Either way, I know many people who've considered it. But for me personally, Amanda Ritchie is the only person I've met who has been brave enough to up sticks, leave everything behind and move to the land of Oz. I can see Amanda's here in with us now. Can you hear us OK, Amanda? I can. Can you hear me? Beautifully. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Now, I know you well. We have been friends and worked together for a while, but obviously people who are listening in might not. So I thought we'd start off just with a little bit about you yourself and your journey into teaching so that then we can understand and connect more with your experiences when you tell us about that big move to Australia. Yes, absolutely. If I can just give you a bit of background down sitting in my... uh... (laughs) <laughs> big old 1900s house in front of the fire with bare wood floor <laughs> and bare painted walls so I hope it's not too echoey. <laughs> well it sounds perfectly clear to me yes that's something we will get on to because now that uh, now that Amanda is home she has started into more projects and more things in terms of work-life balance taking on the restoration yeah. of, of said house. Life is never dull. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um, If we could start then just at the beginning, thinking about your journey into teaching, what was your inspiration for wanting to go into teaching in the first place? Where did you start off? 
Do you know, I was one of those people that I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I was actually quite envious of people that really knew their path from like primary school. Um, I, I kind of knew my secondary school teacher or my biology teacher was someone that I just thought was incredible. And her passion for biology, I think, really made me just absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And what's quite sad is she probably doesn't even know that because, you know, as a teenager, you kind of you don't really build up the courage to actually say that. But it probably it probably was her that um, actually a couple of my biology teachers were brilliant in my school. And I think just by the end of my A-levels, I thought, you know what, I love that so much that, you know, I want to study it at uni. But honestly, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. But the funny thing was, um, I was listening to Erica Luke's podcast and she was saying <laughs> that she ended up tutoring some students, you know. And um, I actually ended up doing that. I ended up tutoring students on genetics because they couldn't get it. They were just like, Amanda, I just don't get it. Could you help? Um, and I did. And I remember loving it and loving that my friends understood what I was saying and that it helped them with genetics. And then they started to say, you know, maybe you should think about being a teacher. Um, and honestly, that was really at A-level was the first time it kind of started to sink in. You know, maybe this should be a path that I should follow so to be honest i followed the biology path i went to queen's university did biomedical science absolutely loved it loved the content went to america for a year with it um and then came back in final year and it was very lab based work work and it just was too quiet for me it just wasn't enough interaction and i thought Do you know what i'm gonna give the teaching a bash so i went and did my pgce in southampton and um, I wouldn't say I loved that now. <laughs> it was very challenging, <laughs> very, very challenging. But um, I was certainly never bored and there was lots of good moments in it. But it certainly wasn't an easy year, I would say. Uh, I'm honest enough to say that, you know, it was hard. But um, now I'm in the school that I'm at. I, you know, the relationships with the students are one of the things that I absolutely love about my job. Absolutely. So I know I'm in the right place for the moment, for sure. So what was that like in the States, in the United States? What were you doing there as part of your course? I was actually really lucky. I mean, I've obviously I've always wanted to travel, always wanted to go on trips, always the yes person for anything. You know, if anybody's <laughs> going anywhere, I'm like, yes, I'll do that. No problem. Um, so it's just really lucky that it was a sandwich year that was offered in Reno, Nevada. And mm -hmm. there were seven of us that were really lucky to go. And it was lab experience. So um, biomedical degree is very much a biomedical scientist so you do lots of experiments in the labs and you use quite complicated equipment and america they have so much money in their labs and their equipment is amazing and they have these really knowledgeable scientists who are incredible you know publishing journals all around the world go and do all these research conferences so the seven of us went to reno we got two small houses to rent we were completely skint the entire time <laughs> but we ended up having a ball and really saw a lot of things in america and i learned my lab skills there to the point that when i came back and did my final um, year of my degree my thesis it was hard work but lab skills were like so embedded i find it so much easier i've made so many contacts between america and queens it was just such an incredible year so if any student you know had the opportunity or anybody to do one of those sandwich years i would say 100 percent go for it because the contacts i made from it and the skills i gained 
I just couldn't have imagined what I gained from it before I went. And obviously it was really good fun as well to go to America <laughs> um, and see San Francisco and California. You know, it was amazing. And I still have great friends that live over there and we still keep in touch a little bit, you know. So um, I love that, that you end up with global friends as well. I think that's huge. That's for me personally as well. We've, I mean, we've both traveled um, yeah. in that respect because my degree was joint English and Spanish. And part of that was the third year you went to a Spanish speaking country for a year and you yes. could either attend university and go to classes but and sit the exams, but the grades didn't count for anything. Or you could go and work as a language assistant in a high school and get paid peanuts, but you know, something. Uh, yeah, but it was all thought, experience, wasn't it? Exactly. And I thought I thought it was such a such a better option. I was like, why would I study for something that's not going to count when I could earn enough to get by for a year and go work in this high school? And I remember the language assistance for French and Spanish when I was an A level student, mm-hmm. and I thought, yeah, let's give that a go. A bit like yourself, I hadn't thought of going into teaching, but then that experience for me was what made me think, yeah, actually, this is this is fun i like this i like being in the classroom i like showing students how things work and how i was teaching english as a foreign language and i thought yeah actually i, I could get into this this sounds quite right but I, the same as you were saying it's left me now with friends in spain and from different travels friends over the world who just wouldn't have met otherwise and i think that's a, a hugely enriching experience in itself as well it is, and you don't you don't really realise that, I think. You know, I kind of thought to myself, oh, I'll meet these people and then, you know, I'll not see them again. But actually, when you're so far from home, similar to Australia, you, you know, you build closer connections with people because you really need to, you know, for those tight relationships. And actually, not that I see them very often, but a lot of those relationships, you know, have lasted all that time. And, you know, I flew back and went to a friend's wedding in America another friend actually moved back to Donegal and I went to her wedding, you know, and I met them just over there in America. So um, I'm just so pleased that I took that opportunity when I was younger, even though I was a wee bit scared. Um, I'm so pleased to did it to learn all those skills, but also just to have all those experiences when you're young mm-hmm. and a bit more carefree. <laughs> <laughs> no mortgages. Oh, I know. <laughs> The uh, the idea of being a bit scared but still going on and having a crack at it is definitely something we'll come back to whenever yeah. we look at your your other big move. So oh, you decided then that. to oh, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so there was your lab experiences, and then you decided that was too quiet, and you thought, yeah, okay, let's let's go to Southampton, do my teacher training. What was it like then when you started actually teaching in the classrooms? Oh my goodness. I mean, I just remember, I suppose it was probably the age that we were all at, you know, thinking, oh, this will be a DOS, you know, we're all, you know, after your degree, you know, we'd probably done very well. And we thought, I know my stuff here, you know, we can do this totally. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting into the classroom in my first lesson and being utterly petrified. I just thought, how is it possible that I'm standing in the front of the room with about 28 children in this room just staring at me, hanging off my every word, <laughs> and I just don't have a clue? You know, obviously I'd prepared and had all my lesson plans and knew what I was doing, but there's an element that you just have to figure out as you go. And I remember just being utterly petrified. Um, and it was just we year eights, you know, and they were so keen. And I remember one of the first ones was using microscopes. 
and stupidly I hadn't prepared. I'd prepared with another microscope, but not the ones that were in the room. And I remember lifting this microscope out and thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know. Why can I not figure this out? I don't really know what to do. And the tutor had to step in and help me. And it was a really big lesson because I thought to myself, do you know what, Amanda, you really need to bring this back down and know your stuff before you try to go in and wing it. <laughs> so I learned that the hard way. Um, but, you know, it was really, I have to be honest, it was a really, really tough year. I realized when I was younger, still I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Other than the microscope day, I learned the hard way. <laughs> I think I was trying to do everything to every detail and just know everything down to a T. So I found it quite stressful because in teaching, you can't really. I mean, you can know what you're going to teach and have this brilliant plan. But one of the great things about teaching is you have to be able to roll with it. You have to be able to read the room, read the personalities, make sure they're engaged, change it up. And when you're learning, I think that's quite petrifying yeah. to have the confidence to do that now that I'm older. I kind of thrive on that and love that. But um, the PGCE was a really steep, steep, steep learning curve and hard work. But when the kids got it or when the students got it, it just made me feel like a million dollars. And I was like, right. So there's there's glimpses of hope <laughs> in this steep learning curve and challenge, you know. Um, and honestly, our course, there was at least 25% dropout by Christmas. I mean, wow. it was... I just remember going in in January and thinking, where is everybody? <laughs> is, are people late? Do they not know where we are? Um, and actually, a lot of them had left because I think, I mean, I don't know, England, I think, is a little bit different than Northern Ireland. You know, some of the schools were incredibly tough. And if those people were putting those placements in incredibly tough schools, they just left because they probably just thought, I've worked so hard in one degree and now I'm paying for this one. And... It's just so challenging, I think. Um, thankfully, a lot of us stuck it out and, you know, it does get better. But I think those teaching adverts sometimes can really lure you into this full <laughs> sense of security. And do you know what? Sometimes it's hard and you have to think on your feet and you need to be quite resilient to deal with some of them. So um, it was a hard year, challenging one, but I was so grateful to get to the end and I'd learned so, so much and I'd learned so many skills, you know. Um, and it depends on the schools that you got to. I got some tough schools, but you know what? It taught me so much. <laughs> uh, I was able to deal with, you know, behaviour management, I think, was much better by the time I came back. So it was very different to my degree. <laughs> very mm. different. You know, I'm my sure. degree was quite quiet in a lab. You know, you'd be dissecting in the morning, listening to the radio, <laughs> doing your experiments, <laughs> repeat, repeat, repeat. And then the PGCE was just like a baptism of fire, you know. Um, but, you know, those days that really it worked well, you thought, right, you know, this is working well. I can cope with this. This is good. Do you know what, though? That baptism of fire probably showed you just how resilient you were, which is also then possibly something that let you know that even though taking the career break later and moving so far away was going to be tough, that you knew that you would be able to do it. Um, we're going to take a pause just for a little minute here and when we come back Amanda's going to share with us some of her planning of what it's actually like to make that move and on some of the preparation and practicalities that we might want to consider if we're doing such a thing ourselves.
Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arde, Laura Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. PICT, and so much more? I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Maths is in the news again, according to the BBC News website. This time the story is about the pass rate for GCSE resits in the subject. November results show 22.9% of maths entries were marked at grade 4 or above, down from 24.9% in 2022 and 26.9% in 2019. In contrast, the pass rates for GCSE English resits rose to 40.3%, up from 38% in 2022 and 32.3% in 2019. In England, under 18s must retake the GCSE in English and Maths if they did not achieve a minimum of Grade 4. The resits for the recent November series were marked, like the summer 2023 exams, back in line with the pre-pandemic levels. Prior to the exams, some colleges reported they were having to expand class sizes and higher additional exam space to cope with rising numbers of pupils retaking the two subjects. Those sitting the subjects in November are only a subset of the total resitting, as some pupils will not take the tests until the summer. The fall in the maths pass rate comes after government announced plans to replace A-level and T-level qualifications with a new Advanced British Standard, which would include some English and maths up to the age of 18. Whilst the arrival of the new Ofsted chief made many headlines across media outlets, Schools Week focused on tech issues which prevented many inspectors from accessing training. All inspectors working in schools, FE, social care and early years were due to attend mental health awareness training led by Sir Martin Oliver, which was around 3,000 staff. However, it was announced that Ofsted had experienced some technical issues and that fewer than 1,000 inspectors were able to actually access the online sessions. 
Ofsted did say that a recording was available so those not able to attend would watch it back. Inspections, paused for the start of the new term, will resume on the 22nd of January. They were not paused in early years settings. Attendance is in the news again and looks set to be a key focus for all political parties as a general election approaches. In a recent speech to the Centre for Social Justice, Shadow Minister for Education Bridget Phillipson said Labour would pass a law to register and count the children taught at home adding that it was important that local authorities know where children not in school are. Plans also included setting up more breakfast clubs. The current government has proposed similar in its schools bill, but this and many other aspects were abandoned at a later date. However, new attendance hubs are being launched in London to help reduce persistent absence. The DfE has chosen nine schools with excellent attendance rates to share ideas with others across England. An advertising campaign called Moments Matter Attendance Counts was also launched. Although some aspects drew criticism from some quarters, concerned that the campaign sought to minimise mental health issues. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said, tackling attendance is my number one priority. In Wales, teachers at a high school are striking over poor behaviour of pupils and NASUWT in Wales say there are now six schools in dispute over classroom safety. Teachers in Scotland have also raised concerns about deteriorating behaviours. The TES magazine featured an article by Bill Rogers, behaviour consultant, university lecturer and author. The article focuses on possible reasons for what teachers report as deteriorating behaviours in schools and strategies to improve things. These include focusing on describing and insisting on the behaviours needed for all to learn. Also using clear, assertive language and calling pupils to account for their behaviour. The full article is available online. Finally, the BBC has run an article on the news website focusing on how children and adults can stay healthy at the start of the new term. Officially, January marks the start of the spring term but winter bugs like norovirus and flu are likely around for several months yet. The article focuses on five top tips. Regular hand washing, regular cleaning of high contact areas, staying at home for serious illnesses such as high fever, vomiting or diarrhoea, vaccinations where necessary or applicable, and using the NHS online services to keep informed or to seek advice. Hopefully, a healthy new year will lead to a happy start to the spring term. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. And welcome back. We're with Amanda Ritchie, who is telling us all about her career break in Australia and what that can teach us about work-life balance. So, Amanda, we had talked there about how you got into teaching in the first place. I suppose now the yes. time's come to think about what led you just to consider then taking a break from teaching. How long had you been teaching at that point? I had been teaching six years by then. So it was three years in one school and then I transferred to three years that I'm in the school now. So six years in total. Um, and I actually, I ended up doing acting head of biology quite quickly in my first school, which absolutely petrified me. But um, 
my head of biology was going on maternity leave and they needed somebody you know to step up only for nine months and because I'd only been teaching for two years it was a bit like oh my goodness I can't do this you kidding <laughs> um but actually I had great support from a fabulous VP and I just did it for the year and then it kind of you know gave me a little taste of it I suppose um and I was ready, ready to move and try a new school. So yeah, it was six years, which I suppose isn't that long, but enough to get your wee routines and experiences in place, mm -hmm. you know. But I suppose back to what made me really make the decision. I mean, I've always been a traveler. I've always wanted to explore. I don't know where that has come from, but I always <laughs> have. And I suppose going to America and having such a good time I mean, I was quite homesick in America, but I loved it. I loved um, being somewhere new in a different culture and being in the outdoors and experiencing a new lifestyle. And to be honest, when I came home after that, I always knew I'd moved somewhere else. I just wasn't sure when. And then suddenly you kind of hit 30 and I was like, oh, my goodness, will I ever move again? Will I, you know, if I don't do something soon, I might miss that opportunity. So... I suppose a few things were happening, you know, teaching, uh, I became head of department again, which was great, but a little overwhelming, I have to say, purely, I think mostly because of myself. I um, was definitely more of a perfectionist then when I became head of department. I just wanted all the resources to be top notch. I wanted everything on the computer. I wanted the best stuff. I just wanted the department to be right on top almost immediately, which is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely ridiculous because it was working really well as it was. I just had a vision that I wanted to carry forward and I put an awful lot of pressure on myself to do that within a ridiculously short period of time. So those first six months as HOD, I find incredibly difficult and actually felt really stressed by it. And um, I was in a relationship and it broke down and I ended up quite depressed so I had enough energy to go to school and do my job really well but as soon as I came home I would literally get into bed at five o'clock and not leave it and I did that for a good three four maybe five months and I remember my wow. mom saying to me I'm really worried about you here you know this is not the way you should be living this is not you know what you should be doing and now when I look back I think my goodness I was incredibly depressed I'm not coping very well but probably to everyone in school they probably thought she's doing okay um because you do that don't you when you go into your workplace you put on this persona that you are okay and you do your job to the best of your ability but I had no energy left when I came home and I just I think I was burnt out I was exhausted I was a bit depressed from things not working out the way they should have done in my head for the time I was 30 and my very good friend went to Australia about nine months before with her partner and I just thought wow how incredible to do that and then life was a bit low and I thought you know what if I do not do something I'm going to keep doing this wheel for the rest of my life and I saw a little quote um, it was if you always do what you've always done you'll always get what you've always got mm -hmm. and I thought my nine to fives are going to look like this and I'm going to keep doing this. So I remember saying it was on, you know, one of those wee flip calendars, like a wee quote for the day. Yeah. And honestly, I kind of laugh at myself now because I literally turned over the calendar. It was in the prep room, in the biology prep room. And I remember reading it and just thinking, right, that's it. And that day I looked up the forms for a career break. I printed them off and thought, am I really going to do this? 
and I went home and thought about it and the next day I filled them in and took them up the stairs I'll say up the stairs that's up to obviously our principal and um, as quick as that as quick as that because I just thought I can't think about this too much or else I won't go but honestly my intention was just to take a break just to go traveling for a few months see my friend who was saying how amazing it was and um I remember her saying to me you know Amanda if you come out here January's brilliant it's so depressing <laughs> in the UK but if you come to Australia it's brilliant <laughs> and I was like how could January possibly be brilliant <laughs> <You kidding? laughs> And you know what? She was absolutely right. So I went out in the August and I had a ticket booked back for Christmas. Um, so I was only supposed to go for this big adventure. I'd booked to go to Bali, as I did. You know, after Eat, Pray, Love, I thought I'm going to go to Bali and, you know, really improve myself. And went on to Australia to meet my friend. And I loved it so much that I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't want to come home. You know, I really don't. I really want to stay on and really try and make this work and I had no intentions to stay for as long as I did I just thought I'll stay out the year um and then I ended up there five years wow. <laughs> it really wasn't my intention it kind of snowballed um yeah so that was really what led me out there I suppose a bit of burnout and a bit of a low patch and I thought I'm going to shake things up and just take a break can I say and first of all just before we go any further with this thank you so much for being so honest with everything that you were feeling at that point and what led you then to make that decision because I really think a lot of what you're saying there Amanda will resonate with a lot of us um and things like that that perfectionism and putting yourself under that pressure I think we can all be guilty of that and the stupid thing is we don't expect it of anybody else no no and yet and yet we put it on ourselves you know and I think that being so open about how you were feeling and thank goodness that you had you know the likes of your mum there who was noticing these things that you were able to notice it yourself that you flipped over the calendar on that one day to see that one quotation looking at you yeah I still remember it just going do you know what I'm gonna do that that's what I'm gonna do <laughs> I can't believe it was so quick that you, know, you immediately then looked impulsive. up the forms I mean I'm not normally impulsive but I think sometimes um when when things are happening in your life and you're just you know you're a bit low and you're not quite sure you almost need a wee aha moment like that to go mm -hmm. do you know what what's the worst that's going to happen actually my dad said that to me um he's not with us now dear love him but I remember him saying to me um what's the worst that's going to happen Amanda you get on the plane you go to Australia and if you don't like it you get back on the plane and you come back <laughs> and I was like oh yeah <laughs> yes very practical can, way actually. of looking at it Exactly. I mean, I could at that age because I had no other ties and, um, you know, of course I could then. Um, so I'm glad that I just took the leap, you know. Did it when that. you could? Yeah, did it when I could. Exactly. Did you consider taking a break but staying here in Northern Ireland or the UK or, or somewhere closer to home where the, the trip back wouldn't be quite so long and exhausting? I have to say, no, I didn't for one second. I think I wanted a real adventure. I wanted something completely different. And because I'd been in England for the PGCE, um, so I'd kind of lived away that yeah. year as well. Um, 
and I really enjoyed England actually it was in Southampton I really enjoyed the south of England um but I knew I needed something bigger to shake whatever was happening you know in my mind and my body and actually another big share is that you know my dad was always quite mentally ill so I felt like I needed a big break from Mm. that too and I almost felt like the further I went the more independent or the more freedom that I had, which is totally ridiculous because it's not really, but um, I just needed a big change and a big adventure. And I never once thought of staying in Northern (laughs) Ireland. Um, And actually, I think it's tricky when you stay in Northern Ireland in the UK because of the rules of the career break. You know, you're not allowed to, there's certain jobs, you're not allowed to teach, you're not allowed to do certain jobs. So um, there are certain conditions with a career break. Um, I think you're allowed to, uh, you know, maybe set up your own business. Um, you're maybe allowed to do another job outside of teaching, but you certainly can't do anything teaching related as far as I know. So um, I kind of thought I'm going to go to Australia and travel and just have a great time. And I actually thought I'm not going to teach. I'm just going to go and have a great time. And then obviously I ended up teaching. I'm loving it. <laughs> but, um, and I remember a lovely nurse because you know you have to get all your injections before you go to Bali and on Australia. I remember a lovely nurse saying to me, you know, I did that. And I said, I would never do nursing. And do you know what, Amanda, you'll end up teaching. And I said, nope, no, I won't. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> and I did, and I loved it. Um, so if anybody's thinking about a career break, there are a few wee conditions, but um, it was definitely one of the best decisions I ever made was to have a career break for sure. And that moves us on quite nicely then to think about it. If we, you know, if there is anybody who's listening who is thinking about this, what was that actual process like? It was, it's only whenever you're saying there about the conditions on taking a sabbatical that I realised I I didn't even know that if you were doing it at home that you couldn't do anything teaching related. Um, so what's that process like of, of looking for the job and applying to move and then having to find a house and everything when you're when you're there? It just seems huge it's that seems overwhelming to me that feels just I wouldn't know where to begin I know and you know what now I've done it I can honestly say it is really overwhelming but I think (laughs) before I left I was so blissfully unaware of what was ahead of me I honestly actually getting the career break was really easy it was you know one a four page and you just had to say really what you wanted your break for and as long as the principal was on side um that was dead easy and I remember just thinking oh my goodness, like it's granted, that was dead easy, it must be meant to be. And then the Australia part, I honestly went to travel and the teaching was kind of secondary. Um, So it was tricky. I mean, getting a working visa was relatively easy because I just thought I was going traveling. So I applied for the one that you can work for one employer. I think it's three months or six months. I can barely remember now. And then you have to switch employers. So I thought that's no problem. Um, but actually getting qualified as a teacher, my goodness, there was so much admin, so many hoops. Mm-hmm. You had to go for like a medical exam to make sure that you're medically okay to go to Australia. There's quite a lot of, now not teaching related, but to go to Australia, there's age limits. So you're much better to go before you're 30. I think maybe even before 35, maybe still the case. I mean, I was okay because I fitted into that. But if it was over, there was a lot more paperwork to do. But you basically need to apply for accreditation for Australia. And then whatever state you're going to live in, you also have to apply for accreditation there. 
And for whatever reason, they just didn't like my modules that I'd done. Um, so I had to get extra proof from Queens. I had to get extra proof from Southampton. Um, I actually proof, proof being, of your proof of your capability of teaching the curriculum for, for that state yeah. in Australia. Yeah, right. absolutely. And it was a whole rigmarole because actually I was over there then. So I had to, you know, the time difference and the emailing mm. and then the time difference, you know, and they actually wanted it mailed. So they wanted a paper version. <laughs> so everything was like snail mail. Honestly, it was so old fashioned and truncated. Um, and I ended up having to do two additional chemistry modules because they thought my chemistry wasn't um, up to scratch, which of course it was. I've been teaching science. My first job was as a science teacher. It wasn't biology, you know. Um, it was science so that was really tricky but I kind of friends of friends had done it before and they sent me an email kind of detailing all the stuff I had to do and you literally just had to be so pedantic with it and work through it and it took quite a long time but you know I eventually got accredited so I would say to anybody that wants to teach in Australia the paperwork isn't easy you can do it of course you can um, but I would definitely do it before I left, you know, of course, me just I'll go to Australia and just jumped <laughs> on a plane and kind of did it when I got there. But I would definitely do it before I went this time just to give you that peace of mind. Um, and also the private schools are such a huge market over there. The public schools are difficult. And, you know, I can talk a bit more about that. But the private schools are big money. I mean, the facilities are incredible and um, the students are great and the jobs are, you know, you're really well paid. And actually, there's a lot of agencies that will link you with a great school. So actually, you don't have to do a lot of the legwork yourself with the private sector. So I would also say to anybody, you know, go private because you'll get great jobs. You'll get agencies just giving you a choice of options and you just go for the interviews and they'll start you pretty quickly because they're crying out for teachers there too. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would definitely do if I was ever going back that way again. Where did you do, I'm just thinking about those chemistry modules, where did you do those modules and how long did that take? Oh my goodness, Amanda, see studying again in your 30s, chemistry <laughs> online. Look, it studying chemistry online. wasn't great for me the first time around. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness, like I was literally, like if you can picture this, I was living in Byron Bay by that time. I was surfing, I was living by the beach, <laughs> like the weather was incredible. Um, I was living the absolute dream and then I had to do these two chemistry modules that I thought would be quite easy breezy and they were so intense, so intense. Now I'd obviously done a lot of it before but it was online and I remember going into my room at night time while my friends were like, I don't know, watching a wee movie after they'd been surfing or whatever and I had to go into my wee room and sit with my wee laptop and you had to work through these online modules and do like a test to pass each phase. Um, so I did that and they were expensive, like it was thousands of dollars to do it. Oof. But I knew if I wanted to stay, I just had to do it. I had to get accredited properly and move up the pay scale, you know, to get a better mm. wage because it's scary. You know, you're over there. I was over there by myself. I didn't really know. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any family. Um, I had to support myself and Australia is a great country, but rent is expensive. So you need, if you're on a good salary, you can afford it, no problem. But 
if you're not accredited properly, you're on the lowest rung of a teacher wage. And it's really, of course, you can get by on it, but it's not enough to fly home, see family, to really enjoy yourself. So I knew I had to get fully accredited and move up the scale, as I should have been, you know, I should have been. So, um, I was well, as you, as you said, you know, your first priority for that year was travel. So there wouldn't be much point in going to literally just replace what you were doing at home with what you're doing over there. You know, you're going to want to be further up the rung so that you've got a bit of money to go surfing in Byron Bay and oh, I know. It was see a bit more of the country while you're there. Oh, it's like a different, <laughs> it's like a different era altogether. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I'm talking about those modules, that was a year or two in, you know, the, that, those first few months I worked in a cafe as a barista. It was fantastic. Oh. <laughs> it was brilliant. Really enjoyed it. It was great. Mm. And then I thought, hmm, maybe I should try and earn a bit more money for myself here <laughs> using the skills that I have. Um, like the nurse had told you, you were going to end like up the doing. Nurse I heard her voice <laughs> and I thought, Do you know what? I've got these good skills and if I can get into a good school here, it'll be great. Well, that's what eventually happened. <laughs> There's it's, a few it's, stories in between. <laughs> oh, I can imagine there will be. It's making me think about whenever I did my PGCE, there was a fantastic man on the course. He was an, another student, the same as me, but he had already, he was from the United States and he had already been teaching for years. But to come over here, he then had to redo the PGCE. Oh my and he goodness. never seemed, he never seemed annoyed about it. He must have just made his peace with it before he ever got into the actual course with the rest wow. of us. But do you know what? For me, it was fantastic because it was like having another tutor on the course. Absolutely. So he taught for a few years, had he? He'd been teaching. Yeah, he'd been teaching for years. He'd been teaching English for years. And then he came in and it was great because whenever we were doing things where you remember all that, where you had to prep a lesson and teach yes. the rest of the group a certain thing it was great because it was like a i don't know like a professional workshop getting to see him teach Absolutely. us you know because he knew exactly what he was doing and he was able to talk us through oh you know he the reason the reasons so why he was too. doing yeah he was he was great and some of those things you were saying earlier about when you first start out and you see the the veteran teachers able to just run with it and be flexible and react to things you know without when things don't go according to plan they've always got their next plan up their sleeve he had that so it was interesting for us to be able to see that from the start oh i was absolutely in awe of teachers it really i mean it really made me look at the profession very differently i think there is a stigma out there about what a school teacher does mm -hmm. i think there's still this old-fashioned view that you have this magic drawer that you open or you know that has your plans done and you have a textbook and you just go turn to page, you know, 84 and, and start <laughs> writing. And it's so different to that. But I think there is still that stigma. So when I first started the PGCE, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so different. And it was a bit I remember thinking, I can't really be Amanda. I really need to be Miss Ritchie. And I'm not really sure who who that's supposed to be. How yeah. am I supposed to manage this room? I can't be myself fully. I have to be. I have to put a bit of a teacher mask on and I think part of the year was learning what does that look like do I need a mask and I really felt like I sort of did mm -hmm. um 
in a good way, you know, that you went into school and you're Miss Ritchie. And when I left, I was kind of back to Amanda, but it was a, re- a really big learning curve. And then you had you had years of that and then suddenly you're in Australia and you're having to learn a new way of doing it. Um, oh and we'll, we'll get on to... <laughs> oh, do you know, as soon as you said, see, as soon as you said, it's not like you have a textbook and you say turn to page 84. My first experience of teaching was in Valencia in Spain when I was a language assistant teaching English as a foreign language. Um, I'll never forget it. There was one day that I'd said to my class and I'd been teaching them for a few months at this stage, they knew me well. And uh, I went, right, okay, turn to page 88. We're looking at this, there's an extract there. We're not reading the extract, we're doing this activity at the side, blank faces. (laughs) And I was like, okay, there's something we haven't understood. What is it we've not understood? One person put their hands up and went, Amanda, what is piage? And I went, oh, holy St. Francis, is that what I sound like? Okay, <laughs> okay. P-U-J-E is page. And then the next hand went up and I went, I know where this is going. What is 88? It's like, oh. <laughs> Our accent is terrible. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, I had a few issues in America, but as you say, when you're trying to teach young people and I think it's learning even how to correct yourself. You know, the way you're saying page and then page. <laughs> you know, it took me a while to learn. I was like, how am I supposed to say this? What is the correct <laughs> pronunciation of this word? Um, what will make it clear? What will make it clearer? Yeah. Um, well, we're going to hear we're going to hear some stories um, in just a minute about what it was like then whenever you did start teaching over in Australia. So we're going to take a short pause and we are going to come back to hear about that. Lovely. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arday, Laurel Carner, Baroness Fluella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. Okay, so we have been hearing from Amanda Ritchie tonight about her journey into teaching, about her decision then to take a career break in Australia, which went from being 
three months of traveling to five years, including teaching. I remember us all actually recording little messages for you in the staff room. Oh, I <laughs> Once know. it, because we had thought you would thought you were going to be back so soon, and then when we realized we weren't, it was uh, another one of your friends who organized us all to record little messages for you to send over, which, you oh, know, know, was funny for us because it was showing us, reminding us just how far away you were, but that must have been strange as well for you when you first moved. I mean, when you first moved over, where did you move to? Like, did you have people already out there that you knew that you could stay with or were you just suddenly away, away from everybody? I um, I had my good friend Gillian in Sydney, um, but she was due to come back to Northern Ireland at Christmas time, just before Christmas. But initially that was fine because I thought, you know what, I'm going to Bali. I'll go to Australia, I'll meet Gillian in Sydney, stay with her, you know, for maybe like a week or two. And then I'll just do a bit of traveling. I'll kind of just see what happens. So it really wasn't my intention to stay, but, and I had like an absolute ball with Gillian. And then actually what happened, we went up to Byron Bay and I started surfing and I met some kind of surf buddies, Nikki and Anna. They were one of the first people that I met surfing and I just loved it. And I stayed in a hostel at the grand old age of 31. Um, and like surfing every day and just absolutely loved it. And I, then I kind of went to travel on up because I thought, okay, that, now this is time for me to move on and travel. And I missed them so much. And I thought, why am I forcing myself to, you know, like you almost have a to-do list. And mm-hmm. um, why am I forcing myself to do this when actually all I want to do is go back to Byron and surf with my newfound friends. Um, and I really enjoyed that. But then it did get to a point and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to make some decisions here. So then I decided, right, I'm going to stay for the year. I can't really afford to go home at Christmas, so I'll just move my flight until I think it was the next July or something. But then Gillian left and I think I went back to Sydney because I thought there's loads of jobs there. The problem with Byron Bay is there's not a lot of jobs. They're quite, you know, it'll be in a cafe or, you know, it's very touristy and it's quite small. So I thought, right, I'll go back to Sydney, I'll get a job, I'll save up some money and then I'll travel again. But actually what I didn't really think about was I didn't know anybody there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) stupidly. I kind of thought this will be fine. I can do this. And I went back to Sydney and I remember feeling incredibly lonely and quite lost. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I know no one. What am I going to do? And I just thought, right, just get into the to do list. So I kind of went on Gumtree found myself a house I remember meeting this Kiwi girl Alex and there was a house near Bondi Bondi Beach with all the other Irish (laughs) and I thought yep this will do me and then my other housemate Emma who was from England and I thought right now I have a base I got myself a job in a private school and it was only for a term um, but it was enough to kind of cover me and keep me going but it was a real mixed bag of I'm so excited I'm in Australia and I'm living in Bondi Beach and I'm working in this private school and the school was amazing it really was incredible um to other times just feeling what on earth am I doing I'm completely lost (laughs) I don't have my family here and I felt quite lonely and it kind of ebbed and flowed like that um until I kind of got more settled with my housemates and then I ended up kind of getting into the groove and having a really good time Um, But it certainly wasn't easy. You know, when I look back, I think I'm not sure I could do that by myself again. You know, I wouldn't wish it on anybody again. And I know that's Mm -hmm. quite a similar story because there's different friends that have done things by themselves. They've moved and they've said the same thing. You know, you do end up 
walking around these incredible cities on your own, a little bit lonely. And then you have to give yourself a shake and join the walking clubs, join the yoga classes, you know, the surfing, whatever it is that's your thing, you have to find your tribe, I suppose, and really push yourself. And it takes time, really took time. But um, when I look back now, I think, gosh, I was brave, but I didn't think it at the time. I genuinely didn't. Um, I suppose you're just trying to get by at the time. You don't realise what a huge thing it is that you're doing. Do you know, it's interesting hearing you say that as well about go join the the walking clubs, the yoga classes, Mm -hmm. surfing, whatever it might be, because that's something that will probably hit hard with a lot of people who are at home as well, you know, who haven't taken the career break, but in terms of work-life balance and avoiding some of those difficulties that come with loneliness, because it is just endemic those Absolutely. those sorts of feelings it's important to look for that and maybe finding that those were things that you had to do when you were out there because you couldn't take it for granted that you had your usual support network around you might not have been a bad thing then in terms of you know at home that those are things to to keep going with as well Absolutely. I think that loneliness is something that's quite renowned or well known in older people, but it's really not spoken about for younger people too much. Mm-hmm. It's kind of focused on in school that you need to find your kind of friendship group. But there's a little period of time in your 20s and 30s, I suppose, that um, a lot of people fall into it naturally. But if you if you don't, you know, sometimes it's very easy to just get comfortable. Um, but actually, if I've ever pushed myself and actually I did that when I came home, I joined walking groups and, you know, yoga places. And because I thought I kind of need to start afresh here. It's a new chapter moving home. I need to start afresh. So I did kind of a similar thing, joining all these groups to try and meet new like minded people as well as, you know, great friends that I already had. Um, so it is it takes a wee bit of bravery. And I think the problem is when you're a wee bit lonely, you're not quite yourself. You know, yeah. you're probably a wee bit quieter, your confidence is a wee bit low, so it takes even more courage to put yourself out there. But I mean, if you're in a foreign country, you just have to, you've no choice to put a smile on your face and go. And then once all you need is really one person. Once you meet one person that you get on with, it gives you a wee boost and then you can kind of go on to the next thing and then you build it up and then you end up with this incredible network of like-minded, lovely people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is that it's that investing as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. for me, when I was teaching in uh, in Valencia, it was my friend Orly, who is just a fantastic woman from she's Belgian. She lived in the United States when she was a kid and I met her in Madrid, but we were both working in Valencia and it was through her that I then met lots of other people. But it is that just pushing yourself to to be brave and go out there to meet people because when you're away it is different but it I think that different. makes you put the effort in a bit more sometimes it is different and I think you know you could very easily like I know a friend actually in America who jumped on a flight and went home at Christmas time because he just couldn't cope with the, mm. and he had a girlfriend at home I suppose but um that always was a big pullback <laughs> and another friend in Australia who just went I just can't stick it anymore so I think there is another side there's a flipped coin there you know people can say oh it's amazing and such a great life it absolutely is 100% which I'm sure we'll talk more about but mm-hmm. the flip side of that I'm sure as you know living in Spain I don't know if you experienced it or not but 
the flip side is you can get a wee bit lonely and a wee bit homesick and you need to be able to cope with that and have a few strategies in your back pocket yeah um to keep yourself happy and pushing forward you know yeah mine was my mum's 50th birthday Mm -hmm. so I I had been out there from late summer and her birthday was in October and seeing knowing that it was coming up to a big birthday and my family are all very close my husband says we would get together for the opening of an envelope so 50th <laughs> birthday was a big deal it is um and i just was going to pieces and i'd been doing okay but i suddenly felt and i was only three hours away on a plane but i felt forever away and i had an aunt and an uncle he each who put a tenner a month into my bank account to pay a phone bill not my mobile, but you know, and a landline phone because I wasn't phoning any person from home while I was in Spain on a mobile in those days. This, I mean, these were the days that I had to go to the internet cafe around the corner to check my MySpace <laughs> and send an email. Yeah. Did you have know, dial-up tone? Oh, but of course, <laughs> we had to wait um, about five minutes for it actually wait, to wait for it to go through all the the noises yeah. of the day. But for me, we had all been told, "Do not go home until Christmas." Um, and for me, actually, it was the opposite. I got myself into such a state. My family were amazing. They organized for me to get a flight home just for the weekend. The school I was teaching in were brilliant. They said, go on the Friday, don't worry about it, and come back on the, the Sunday or Monday. So I had an extra day. And knowing that I could get home if I needed to was then a big settler for me. And I felt much happier then being that distance away, knowing, do you know what, if something happens and I need to get home, I can get home yeah. and then that made it easier for me to settle into being and and honestly it was the best year it was the best year for me something that we've talked about before personally mm-hmm. is the outdoor lifestyle you had it in Australia I had it in Valencia and for me that made such a difference to my work-life balance not that I had anything like the responsibilities that I have these days in teaching but all those occasions where you're spending so much time outside for me that had a, a huge uplifting impact. Absolutely, and in the sunshine, and probably, I don't know what yours was like, but probably other colleagues doing the same, mm-hmm. leaving on time, you know, going outside to do their own hobbies or whatever it was, and probably that encouraged you too. You know, yeah. when you see others doing it and leaving on time. You know, Australia in Australia on a Friday, you know, past three o'clock in any office or, you know, school's kind of different. You have to wait to the end of the day, but certainly in any office, you wouldn't be finding an office. Um, And I think that's absolutely the right way to do it. You've worked all week and then have a really good time at the weekends. Um, And a lot of it was outdoorsy, fresh air, you know, exercise. I just couldn't believe older people in Australia were so fit. You know, they are like swimming in the ocean every day, you know, running, jogging, cycling, and they looked incredible. I just couldn't get over it. I was like, I can't believe these people and and good on them. 70s, 80s, you know, lifting weights, swimming, surfing. I mean, this man used to go out when I was surfing and he he was an American, but he lived in Australia and uh, he was a paddleboarder, had this huge paddleboard and he was out every morning you know, kind of just after dawn. And he must have been easily 60s, late 60s, early 70s. And you should have seen the weight of the board. And I just thought, good on you, love and life. I thought, well, if I'm here, that's what I want to be doing. You know, making the most of your life and yeah, exercising and being strong. You know? So what was it? Was it very different teaching 
in Australia? I mean, yes. in terms of the whole thing, like in the school, but also that your your wider work life balance and workload and those sorts of things. What was there a marked difference in your experience? Do you know, there's so many things flashing into my head when you ask me that question. <laughs> I know, sorry, that's quite big. <laughs> it was different in so many ways. I mean, one of the first things was I initially went to sub in a public school. It was an all boys school in Sydney. Sydney West, I think it was. And if you don't know about that, there's some tricky, tricky schools. Now, you know me, Amanda, I'm like five foot two, small wee <laughs> woman going into these this boys' school. These boys are big boys. And it was difficult, um, really challenging behaviour. I got swore at, they would take the mick, you know, because I had an accent. They all just kept saying, are you from Scotland? <laughs> Be like, no, <laughs> not from Scotland. And all my behaviour management just went out the window because, and then I was determined, I kept going back. Um, and I thought, I am determined to make this work. And then I just gave up, to be honest. I thought, I can't do this. You know, this is actually not worth the paycheck. It's awful. Um, so I find some of the public schools that I subbed in really tough, but then maybe it's just finding your niche. So then I was employed by a private school, like wonderful school in the suburbs in Sydney. Staff were so supportive. And I think that's a real, um, you really need that in whatever type of environment you're in. And they were just so lovely to me and the kids were lovely. Um, but even the curriculum's so different. Like I it's so prescriptive like prescriptive in northern ireland and the uk as you know like with biology it's literally bullet point by bullet point you need to teach and make sure they know at gcse and a level and it's so prescriptive whereas in australia it's not like that at all i remember saying but i i, I don't really know what to teach where's the spec where is the sentence by sentence and they were like you know so laid back what are you talking about you know you basically teach like the world around us and there was like literally one sentence you know like teaching about <laughs> i can't remember what it was now even like te tectonic plate shift and something else and i was just like what <laughs> i remember being really confused um so that was really different too i really adjusting to a broader spec i actually found really different being sure the, the world around us that's that that's not that big a topic the world that's fine <laughs> I was like, where do I even start here? And me being me, I really wanted to do a good job and I didn't mm. want to let myself down and let down, you know, anybody from the UK or Northern Ireland coming over. <laughs> I felt the weight of that on my shoulders, like I have to be a good teacher here. Um, and I really, once I got to grips with that, I loved the freedom of it. But initially I find that really difficult, but having the freedom to kind of focus on what you're passionate about to get the kids and, and the students engaged in that was wonderful once I kind of got that on board. And because they were such good students, it made it so mm. more enjoyable. You know, when you can actually teach in a classroom <laughs> and they're engaged and listening and they're not swearing at you, that was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and then I don't know if I've mentioned too much about, I worked in a distance education school Ooh, in no. Sydney. Um, and actually that's the bulk of what I ended up doing in Byron Bay. So a distance education school is a school that children who don't like, they don't attend face to face, basically mainstream school for lots of different reasons. So it could be mental health, it could be medical. It was mainly mental health. Um, so in Sydney, I just happened to fall upon it because a friend was doing a few sub days and she said, Amanda, you'll love this. I'll get you in there. 
so I did a few sub days there and it's basically you teach online you teach face to face sometimes they'll come they'll come to the school the distance ed school because there's not like a thousand pupils running around you know it's kind Mm -hmm. of appointment times or small groups or you go to special centers where there's five or six and it's challenging because those students have really huge mental health needs um, so you really have to try and hook them and engage them in their education. Um, but I really enjoyed it because it was more, I suppose, one-on-one and small groups. And I suppose what I loved about it the most is when you think of these children, some of them aren't leaving their bedroom. They're not leaving their houses. They're really disengaged from education. And then if you can get them to meet you and do some workshops, they barely look at you and speak to you at the start. But then by the end, they're looking at you they're smiling they're engaging with their students you know some of them were doing practicals Mm -hmm. and burning things and blowing stuff up (laughs) Um, and I thought gosh I'm really enjoying this for a different side of education so I did that for quite a long time that was a really interesting side of education that I hadn't quite experienced before I loved that so I suppose that gave you then so many different experiences of teaching that you were able to bring home with you absolutely i mean you just couldn't you, you couldn't use some traditional methods some of them you know their writing mightn't have been quite good their reading wasn't great so you really had to engage on a different level um and try and get them through some kind of qualification to you know if they wanted to go to tech or you know if they wanted to get a, a basic education so and traditionally, I'd worked in quite high end, high end like grammar schools where it was all raising attainment. And, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm biology students that wanted to be vets, doctors, physios, really, I had to push them and help them get really top, top grades, which I love doing as well. But this was totally different. This was children who could barely leave the house. And once yeah. they did, you had to hook them in, you know, um, and I really enjoyed that for a while. Um, and coming up with workshops getting the kind of the broad spec of science in but also just getting them talking to each other and smiling and looking up and all those basic essential skills that education actually weaves so nicely in the day-to-day schooling but it's almost a given but actually that's what you're really given a lot of students is routine friendships social skills basic you know life skills um, yeah and give them on top of the curriculum that's so important but some of these children in Australia just didn't have it they didn't have it yet even as a teenager so I loved that I loved seeing them smiling at the end of the day and actually building some friendships over a space of you know some of the programs could have been six months nine months a year whatever they were and um, so I really enjoyed that side of it that sounds really rewarding it was it was hard work in some ways but it was rewarding in a totally different way than i had different types of rewards than i had from teaching so when then did you start feeling the pull to come back when did you start thinking that it was coming to that point where you were going to make the move back home (laughs) honestly that filled me full of I was going to say anxiety, which I probably shouldn't say because it was probably, well, maybe it was nervousness. I'm not sure. Every year I knew like, will I apply for another year? Should I stay? And I thought, you know what, I'll just keep applying. And then I knew the career break has a max five years. So it was coming up 
kind of year four I thought right I'm only getting one more year here so I really need to make some big life decisions like am I gonna go home will I go back to that job should I go back to Northern Ireland and actually it was I was quite confused I started to look at houses in Australia and I was gonna buy a house in Ballina where I was living um, and then actually something happened to my brother he just had it wasn't a big accident it was a small accident but um, I remember being in Sydney and just thinking I need a sign here I'm just not sure what to do and I woke up in the morning and I had all these missed calls from home I had about 15 missed calls you know when you switch your phone on all the whatsapp mm-hmm. calls and my heart just sank I thought oh my uh. goodness and you know when you're shaking ringing and I was like what's wrong what's wrong what's wrong and thankfully he was he was okay but he'd had an accident and I took that as the sign I thought I can't be so far away anymore you know I absolutely adored the lifestyle I loved my job I had some really lovely friends and I was the healthiest I'd ever been in my life (laughs) you know like getting up swimming in the ocean doing yoga exercising because the work-life balance over there is honestly unreal well I had found it I'm not sure it is everywhere in the big cities but I had found it for me yeah but in reality family was kind of calling me back and not even just family I think being from Northern Ireland there's something about your home and your roots and your connections and I just really felt a bit lost by the fifth year um because I didn't have family I think a lot of people that stay over there have a sister or a brother or mum or dad or someone um and I just ended up feeling a bit lost and a bit adrift so I thought, you know what, I'll go home and connect with family because you only see them for two, three weeks and then I'd be away again, sobbing through the airport. <laughs> Terrible. Um, and then once I got to Australia, of course, I, I loved it. But I kind of thought I can't just go home for two weeks and sob through the airport again. I really think it's time to come home. And I had the wonderful opportunity with the career break that I had the job to step back into. I mean, it was it is an incredible the career breaks incredible for that because I worked hard to get the job in the school that I'm in and did lots of interviews and made sure I had a lot to say and sell myself to get into it because I wanted it so badly. Um, So I was so grateful to have that to come home to. And I thought it's time. I'll give it a crack. I'm sure I've been home now about five years, I think. (laughs) So so you've you've been home now the same length that you were away? Same length I was away. Yeah, unbelievable. And it goes. I suppose when you're thinking about family and the draw that that has, the time difference must have been tough for you to keep in touch with family when you were away. It was really tough. Actually, that was one of the toughest things, you know, when you're here and, you know, if it's something funny or you want to tell somebody something, you just pick up the phone. Whereas there, I would literally be counting down the hours, you know, like, when can I phone my mom or my brother or, you know, um, and you had to wait. And obviously, if you were upset about something or something had happened, you had to wait. Although mom always said, you know, you can ring me in the middle of the night, but I wasn't going to do that um, <laughs> for like a wee off day, you know. Um, and that's why I had some incredible friends in Australia who became my sisters, you know, total yeah. family. And they were the people I would call on. And I'm very grateful and lucky to have them still. And we still Skype and still keep in touch. But I suppose it's very hard to replace it's never quite your family as much as you're so so close um and then actually what happened was I came home and then I really missed my really close friends in Australia because they were like sisters to me um so that was another adjustment 
coming home. And how I was that coming home? That. Oh, I, yeah, I did actually. I, do you know, even just the change of pace with things, and this is gonna, it sounds like such a small thing, but for me moving back from Spain, when I moved back from Valencia, I had got into the pattern of, I have a massive lunch at two o'clock. <laughs> then I have a nap. Everything closes. Everything reopens at five. You know, the day starts again from five. And then we, you know, if we're, if I'm going out to meet friends for dinner, we're going out at 10. And then I came yeah, back cool. to Northern Ireland oh and it was goodness. like, everything closes at half five. What is this? <laughs> um, do you know, and, and even just those things and something that you and I have both suffered from is the cold, the temperature. <laughs> so the cold. that really... You know, there's a reason that whenever I, my husband got me super double knit cozy socks at Christmas, you were the first person that I thought, right, I must I text Amanda about these. About <laughs> because, 100%. you know, five years later, having come back from Australia, I know you're still freezing. So oh, I know. Do you know what? Thermals are just a godsend. You know? <laughs> I'm like, why did I not do this fully before I left? Like Before I left for Australia, I was freezing constantly. And when I come back from Australia, I thought, right, I need to sort this out. I can't be so cold all the time because I know I want to be here, I do, but the weather is depressing. Um, I'm discovering like thermal type long johns, life sleep, everything thermal is revolutionary. I mean, it's quite sad that I wear them from probably October to May, but you know what, whatever works, whatever works for you. Um, but no, moving home, honestly, it was such a challenge. It was such a challenge. I was grateful for the school to just step back so the job part was sorted but because I was away five years it was like everybody had moved on of course they mm. had so I did have lovely friends and lovely family but you almost you kind of have to start again so that's why I you know joined like online walking groups and walk the morns and the very first one I went to was an absolute disaster because oh. <laughs> I remember sitting in mum's house thinking um should I go I mean there's a bit of a weather warning but surely it'll be fine a surely bit of a going. weather warning a bit of a weather warning and you went me. up the morn mountains <laughs> yes I thought to myself surely the walking guide you know the leader wouldn't take us out in a weather warning if it, if it was really true so Amanda I got there and it was beautiful, bright skies, gorgeous. And we started on the path. I think it was at the bloody bridge towards um, the morns. And then honestly, about one hour in, it turned gray. The clouds came down. The oh, rain. No. Do you know that rain that it's almost like horizontal? Like it's absolutely <laughs> horizontal. And Not I didn't rain really that you want to be climbing a mountain in? No, I didn't really have the right gear. And this lovely girl, I can't even remember her name now, this lovely woman, she had a spare pair of waterproof trousers <laughs> in her bag and she gave them to me. And we were absolutely sopping wet. So when we got back down to the car park, we were all just trudging along. No one was talking. <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> a disaster. And you know when you're peeling off your clothes and it wasn't a wetsuit, but it was like, Stuck oh. out. and I remember arriving back and mum being so enthusiastic like you know well how was it you know trying to encourage me and I was like it was absolutely awful <laughs> now thankfully I did go again I just made sure I said to myself I'm not going anywhere if it says it's going to rain I'm not going, <laughs> I'm not going. 
I mean, that's um, going to limit you a bit in Northern Ireland when it comes to going outside. <laughs> I'm a fair weather hiker, you know, but I made some lovely friends. And But honestly, I think I cried for about a year and a half on and off. Mm. It took a long time. But what made me feel better was a lot of people that came back from Australia said that to me. They said, you mm. know, you need about a year and a half, two years. Don't worry if you really feel like you've done the wrong thing for a little while. It takes time. Um and honestly, even though it was hard, I wouldn't have went back. I was really, I really wanted to be here. I just wanted to yeah. feel better about it. And then I finally did. I think getting my house really helped. You know, your only home. Um, yes. That really helped. So. And that is something that we are going to come back and talk about in just a second, looking at then some of the things that you've learned in terms of how it's helping you now with work-life balance and and what lessons you've learned from that trip in terms of now slotting back into teaching here. Yep. So we'll come, we will take a, another short pause and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arday, Laura Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. We are in our last 15 minutes, Amanda. This has flown. Absolutely flown by. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I suppose the last thing that I was hoping we could talk about tonight is just the impact then like the longer lasting impact it's had on you in terms of how you view work-life balance having been away and being in that different culture how do you find that you try to has it even you know has it had an impact on how you try to keep a healthy work-life balance here uh, yes I mean I think it's totally changed the way I view my job and my life you know when I came back I really came back to you know be back home and see family and friends and I didn't want to get stuck into that trap of I mean before I left I was working full-time I would easily work on a Saturday or a Sunday not necessarily all day but definitely half of it and I remember saying mm. no to my nanny a few times for going out to do things and then she passed away when I was in Australia and I'll never forget uh. that you know I and obviously it's 
we can all look back and say that so I kind of thought right I'm moving home and I want to of course I want to do really well in my job and my career but that can't be it you know there has to be a time slot for that and then that finishes and then I need to build up my life um and I think the Aussies are so good at that you know they're so good at when they're in work they're on but they you will like the the, the school that I was at they left on time there was mm. no work in the evenings they were like we will get this done during the day and that's it and the chat was all what are you doing at the weekend? You know, are you going surfing later? You know, so I think when I came home, I thought, right, I really want to try and bring back a little bit of the Australian lifestyle and the Australian me, because I loved Australian Amanda. She was less stressed oh. <laughs> and she was more fun. And I didn't want to bring back stressed Amanda. So I think I'm not sure I do it very well all the time, but I'm definitely a lot better at when I'm in school I'm on I get my work done and if I need to bring stuff home I will but I kind of almost set myself a time limit you know I'll say right I'm going to do 45 minutes on that and that's it or I'll say right I'll do half an hour after school and get this done and then of course you send me a wee text or I send you a wee text yep. and, you know <laughs> are we doing a bit of yoga today or are we doing a bit of exercise and um, so I really set small goals it doesn't have to be big but you know something to switch off and how many times have we said you know we'll go into that little fitness room and be like frustrated and stressed and tired and have a little you know a little moan about something for a few minutes and then if we do the workout at the end it's like oh my goodness I feel amazing and you drive home with the radio on and you feel 100% better and the weight comes off, off. The, the, the shoulders and the stress. you know this was why I wanted to have you on for January, because I just think for so many of us starting out, you know, New Year, we do tend to think about work-life balance and stress and things in a slightly different way. And I think for both of us, having that opportunity of being away does have an impact because you can see there are other ways. And if anybody has the opportunity of having someone or a small group in school where you work, that you can check in with at the end of the day and do something fitness wise, whether it's, and I mean, we're not doing things that are expensive. We're going on to, no. we're going online and finding free YouTube videos of, you know, <laughs> yoga workouts and things or, you know, other platforms, fitness yeah. platforms that we might happen to have individually. But that little bit of meeting up with somebody else who's in the same position as you, you know, they're going through the same sort of a schedule or the same type of job. And it's not that it's, it's only teachers who, you know, can come along, obviously, to, to our when it's classroom assistants, other non-teaching staff as well. But just that going over, spending that time with another adult <laughs> talking yes, and talking doing a bit adults. of exercise makes such a huge difference to me. It and does. also, whenever we're over, our students are outside the building and we're yes. in a fitness room upstairs and they can see us and there's also that getting over the the weirdness of oh my goodness they can see me turning purple doing squats with weights on my back here this isn't a good look but I don't know how you feel about it but I think that's also a really good thing for students to see that you know it's it's four o'clock and we're not sitting working in our classrooms we are up taking care of our physical and mental health you know we don't say these things are important we actually mean it we do value these things we are putting that yeah. time in ourselves I think it is good for them to see it and it's funny because the younger ones my year nines you know they're the ones 
well they're pretty vocal about quite a lot of things actually but um <laughs> you know they they said i think it was may june time probably we were going quite a lot and they were probably out in the tennis courts or whatever you know miss we saw you with uh, miss kinsey smith were you were you actually working out and i was like of course i was why would i not be and then they were like yeah well i suppose i kind of thought that was a bit weird but then i, then I kind of thought no it's not <laughs> And I said, no, it's not, you know, just because we're a bit older and we're teachers, like, do you think we're actually chained to the desk? So it is good for them. I think it's good for me personally on so many levels. I think because it's on site and, you know, for other people listening, it is the tiniest little room. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we make the most of the space that we've got. But to not have that excuse of, you know, having to drive anywhere, you just meet yeah. your friend, have a wee chat, do a wee workout. And it's honestly helps my stress levels and helps physically, mentally, all of the above. And I know this every single time we know that workouts um, and yoga, especially like I would get headaches quite often and our yoga Tuesdays um, really saves me and I can go in with a headache and we'll do half an hour of yoga. And honestly, it goes away my headache's gone so I did learn that I didn't do yoga before I went to Australia I learned yoga when I was in Australia and it just transformed my life and I really want to it doesn't take much and I need to keep reminding myself keep doing these little things for yourself and connecting with your friends and your colleagues can be your friends you know you don't have to shuffle in and shuffle out there's great people there all around you you know that you just need to connect with and make the time to do that I think that's so important. Just you don't know as well who else could be sitting there wishing someone would suggest meeting for a coffee after work or going over to to use a room in the school to do a workout or a yoga or some breathing or whatever it might be. You know, there might be someone really wanting to reach out for it as well. Yeah. And some days, like we're saying, we have a wee moan. You know, some days it's just such a laugh. Oh, yeah. (laughs) A lot of the time. (laughs) Yes. And like coordination's just often just such a laugh. it just, you know, I think it's a good, I was listening to Erica Luke's episode, which I find really interesting on so many levels, but actually um, she made a really good point about being busy. You know, I find I'm a bit busier now, not just with school life because of this big old house that we're renovating, but um, actually I thought it would be more stressful and it can be sometimes, but actually I feel happier for it because it's almost mm-hmm. like, right, when I've done my work, that's done. And then I start this other chapter, um, and of course, the doggy <clears throat> is a great distraction too. But I think, um, you know, I used to put too much emphasis on work and I, everything had to be perfect and I had to work in the evenings and work at the weekends. You don't. You can be really good at your job and do your work well and leave it there and invest in your life and have fun and be healthier and still be a great teacher. And be a better teacher, I would argue, be a as well. teacher, yeah, because you your know- mental health better. I'd, I have to say, like, you are one of the few people I know, you don't just talk about things that, I mean, I think of all these sorts of things that just look look fabulous in my head, but I would shy away from actually doing them. And you go for those projects in real life. You took the career break. You joined the walking group going up a mountain. You did up a beautiful coffee van. Now you're renovating yeah. a house. <laughs> you know, you, you, you have the courage to go and do all of those things and I personally I do find that inspirational I think that's an amazing thing to have and to be able to see and for friends colleagues family students to be able to see that and 
thank you so much for coming on to share these sorts of things. Is there anything that you would like to have just as like a final bit of advice or something that you would love to see in the future in terms of, of people looking for that kind of balance in their life? What what would be your your sort of final thoughts or, or advice there that you could share with us? I think something very simply is to talk about it. I think when I first started and I heard this in one of your other episodes and I was like, you know, agreeing in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> I just felt I couldn't say that I was struggling. My first year in teaching was incredibly tough and I didn't ask for any support, any help because I thought that's going to seem like I'm failing and I can't do it and I don't want that. So in school, I looked like I was doing okay. And actually when I went home, I was really struggling and I wish I would have just asked my head of department or a friend in the science department, anybody, but I didn't. I just kept quiet because I felt like as a professional I need to go and do my job and leave and I can't ask um, so I would say to anybody starting out don't feel like a failure to ask for help you know we've all been there we all know it's tough so just ask you know we won't think anything less of you we're I think if you go into teaching you have a certain personality and you want to help and support hopefully that's the general idea um, <laughs> so we are approachable and I think for anybody starting out don't feel like a failure for asking for help and you should get it you're entitled to it you should get the right person to help you i think that's very honest and very relatable and i think it's something that we've all experienced and i, I think that's a really good idea to end on there amanda so thank you so much for coming on tonight i have loved thank that you. i've loved hearing more about australia Oh, um, good. I'm glad we could keep chatting for, for ages, but sure, we can catch up on Yoga Tuesdays. <laughs> we'll catch up on Yoga Tuesdays. Exactly. Exactly. So there's there's uh, would be my final bit of advice there. Get yourself yeah. an Amanda. We're small, we're portable. And, you know, you can join us for <laughs> Yoga Tuesdays and things. And stretchy. Wow. Some more days than others. You know, but it's, but having that, having someone to have that sort of connection with in school, I find really can make a huge difference. So thank you very much. Well, thank and... you for asking me. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you've enjoyed yourself. And that is us for this evening. Thank you for joining us on the Sunday Late Late Show on Sunday, the 14th of January, 2024. Goodness me. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.